All right. We're back. Can you believe it, JT? We made it. Oh, excuse me. I've, I've messed up right here at the start. Excuse me. Murder Tundra. Can you believe it? 18 episodes of the podcast. This is episode 18. And we're doing it in, I think, three weeks in a row. This is a, this is a big move big for deal. us. Yeah. Do you feel good? Mm-hmm. I feel accomplished already. We should just shut it down. Upload it. Be like, hey, man, we did it. We lived up to it. But this, our little reaction time podcast is going to be hard to do today because I was thinking about this before we got started. How is it that there were three huge races last weekend? All kinds of stuff to talk about. All kinds of stuff to talk about, all on top of each other. Yet this past weekend, there wasn't any. Right. Not one. It had been cool if someone could have been like, you know what? There's a lot going on that that weekend in October. Let's push our race back, you know, to this one where nothing else is going on. Mm -hmm. But I I already, I've kind of set us up for some hate mail because uh, I was, when I was getting ready for the show, I realized that there was a race this weekend, but I'd already kind of put it in my notes to make to make a, a mention of the fact that there weren't any races going on this weekend. But there was, so I've set us up for um, you know some some bashing because there was a no prep kings race right in uh, at the Motorplex in Texas, right Innis Innis Texas, right outside of Dallas. The uh, no prep kings season finale, from what I understand, is that right? Yeah, I know you watch every episode and follow all those guys extremely closely on social media. So I'm about. I'm about a season behind right now. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if you're supposed to let that get out. I know. But uh, I'm I'm a couple seasons behind. I, I try. I mean, I hey, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of this stuff. I really am. A lot of people, I still, I still get hate mail still today and still deal with issues that um, derive from putting the cast of Street Outlaws on the cover of the magazine, however many issues ago that was. How many issues ago was that? It was in the 90s, wasn't it? It was in the, the 90s, and we're, we just shipped 150, 150. right? So, And we're going to talk a little bit about that because that was a big deal for us. But it was like uh, people were really mad that we were, according to a couple of these emails that I got, that we were like, what did they say? We were condoning street illegal racing. street racing. Yeah. And I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast, but this might be a good... I want to address that because it's a fun thing for me to talk about. And I'll tell you how free, how much this has followed me. You won't believe how much this situation has followed me in my life because I, I still feel very strongly that they deserve to be on the cover of the magazine. It was our annual state of drag issue, right, where we identify kind of like hard-hitting, um, very popular topics in the sport of drag racing. And at that point in time, you couldn't take a deep breath without having someone talk about or bring up murder uh nova or farm truck and asian or big chief i mean it's like everybody it it was the thing that everybody was talking about so i thought we were really i just felt good about it i mean i felt really compelled that that was a great story to tell it was very interesting and most importantly it was polarizing people Mm -hmm. either love those guys and support what's going on or they hate them and are very very upset about it so i thought that that would be a a fun thing to dive into and it's crazy because earlier this year, I was um, announcing, I'm not going to bring up a bunch of specifics, but I do want to paint the picture. I was announcing at a major drag racing event that doesn't leave a lot to the imagination, right? And I'm shown an email that a fan, a viewer or a listener or whatever, had sent in to the aforementioned major drag racing um, organization. And it was referencing me being on the PA and how that... Uh, that was a problem for this fan because I had a history, a track record of 
uh, praising and condoning illegal street racing and that uh, this particular organization would at some point end up with egg on their face by being associated with me. That was his words. Can you believe that? Yeah, I can because... I'd say it's the same guy that writes here all the time. <laughs> Probably and the guy is. is literally a psycho. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, and it's it's weird because I've thought about that before that I'm I was flattered actually in the moment. I laughed, I took a picture of it because I'm like, okay, I want this is a keepsake. I'm not not saying I'm gonna get it printed, but I might. It'd be it'd look great on the wall here at the office. You know what I mean? Like here's proof of the 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 level that people take this stuff. Because I got to tell you, man, I'm a magazine aficionado. I have been for really my whole life. I've always collected, whether it was car magazines or sports magazines or whatever else. And I've never read something in a magazine, to be honest, that got me so you, you mad. Out, you're going to try to ruin this guy's right. life. Then I'm going to set out to ruin the author's life or something. This is like three years later. Longer than that, Maybe right? Longer than that, yeah. I mean, it's it's really crazy, man. How uh, how he, people and he was a retired cop or something. Wasn't yeah, he? yeah, it's the same like guy. Yeah, same, yeah. But it's it's so wild to me because I don't even know this dude. I feel like I'm a a, a decent guy. Which I had his phone number. I just give it out right here. Oh, I know it'd be funny <laughs> because I don't get it. I really don't get it. I mean, he doesn't know me, and the whole thing that and I've said this multiple times on the record, and I've written it. My belief on this whole situation, and and I think the reason No Prep Kings is cool and it's easier for us to get behind it because it's happening at a drag strip. Mm-hmm. And I really applaud everybody involved, Discovery Channel, Motor Trend. I don't really know who all Pilgrim Studios, but I'm just thrilled that there is this super popular TV show that's going on. It's it's played during prime hours or whatever. It's getting great viewership, and I'm I'm stoked that it's that it's happening at a drag strip. But prior to this. And when Street Outlaws was the rage, and it's still very popular, right? I mean, I don't know what season they're in. Maybe into the double digits. I, yeah, I think ten was last season, I believe. Maybe. Uh, so I mean, you're. T- I mean, that's impressive, right? I actually keep up on it, but in the No Prep Kings, I don't know, just a little slower, maybe. And there's not the drama, right? You know, I think that's what makes the other show good because you got a little bit of drama. Well, there's a the lesson, man. You know? There's a lesson to be learned in all of this because it's like. I think the storytelling and the drama and the little backstories and the little rivalries, that's all way more interesting, not only to us hardcore race fans, but to the masses yeah. than the actual racing itself, and at least in my opinion, in my opinion. But it's funny because Hollywood has romanticized illegal acts forever, right? I mean, think of all these mob movies that we watch and that are like beloved parts of like our culture these movies and horrible stuff happens in them and we all kind of cheer it on right i mean and if you look at like what's popular on netflix or anything like that one of my favorite tv shows of all time was dexter and it was about a vigilante serial killer whom like they force you basically to fall in love with and i say all this to just say that you didn't run out and kill a bunch of people i didn't run out and kill a bunch of people and i'm not like Condone by watching that show or saying that it's a great show or whatever. I'm not encouraging anybody to like go buy a, a meat cleaver and start solving the world's problems. You know, I'm not. It's funny <laughs> because I feel as a parent, it's my responsibility to raise my children up and teach them what's right and wrong. It's not the Discovery Channel's right. responsibility. It's really not. I mean, I, I played all sorts of violent video games when I was a kid. I played, I mean, I watched, you know what I mean? I was never one of those kids that like, weren't allowed to watch um, 
you know, R-rated movies or whatever, or PG-13. I watched plenty of stuff. Like every Arnold Schwarzenegger shoot 'em up movie I watched. Commando, maybe one that may have basically raised me, that mm-hmm. movie, you know. But I mean, it just it didn't and I think I get frustrated because I really think it's a finger pointing thing that's happening where it's like this guy that's writing these emails, I mean, he's acting like he's just putting too much weight on what's happening on TV. It's make believe, man. I mean, even reality TV show, TV shows are scripted. They're Some largely make believe, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's there's situations that are premeditated that are largely created. And it's like to think that that's. Oh, it frustrates the holy hell out of me, man. It really does. But I guess what I do like about the whole situation is that at least people get revved up about it. Yeah, People get fired up about it. And uh, again, I don't know what all happened, to be honest, uh, round by round at the uh, No Prep Kings event this past weekend in Dallas. But I was going to ask you, from what I understand, they, Ryan Martin in the Fireball Camaro faced off with Kai Kelly in the, the Black Shocker Camaro um, nitrous versus turbo deal, I think in the semifinal round to decide who was going to be the champion, right? It was going to be it, like the series championship was at stake. And I don't know all the details of this, but like something was wrong with the transmission in Kai's car. I think the trans brake wasn't working. So he had to just kind of like leave off of idle or foot brake it, uh-huh. you know, which wasn't going to give him the kind of run he needed to beat fireball and beat the Camar- Ryan Martin's Camaro. So Ryan Martin wins. And I was curious, I was just going to ask you, like having watched any of the show, and I haven't watched a lot of it, admittedly. Not not because I don't want to. I just haven't. Um, don't you feel like Ryan Martin... They probably need him to be champion. I'd say that's what, that's what they want. Yeah, probably pushing for, yeah. And then I think Big Chief came came back about mid-season maybe this year. Oh, I forgot about that part. But yeah, you're right. And, I, and they, need, they probably need that too. I mean, you know, really. Because you have to have those characters, you yeah, know. I and I, I had heard... You know, Sean and Big Chief were, were kind of the show. You know, well, oh, I think When they it started are. out, yeah, it was they are. Sean... You know, and, and uh, Big Chief and, you know, uh, Fire Truck or, or Fire, <laughs> fire, truck, truck, fire truck, truck, Farm Truck, Farm Truck, truck, uh, farm truck and Asian. But those were the four main characters, you know, yeah. like when they signed their first contract, I believe those were the four main yeah. guys. Yeah. I think those were the only guys that had like the and, were, and it still wasn't very big. No, you know, no. But still. Yeah. Yeah, man. I've I heard stories like firsthand accounts of some of those early uh, contracts they had. And it really is eye opening because I do think there are people that think these guys are out here printing money. Well, and I think that's where a lot of the jealousy comes from. Yeah, you know, and it's I mean, just not, that's not the case. I mean, I think they're doing much better now, Yeah. but early on, and I think... Early on, it was coming from, like, T-shirt sales. Basically, I mean, if they were yeah, making yeah. any money, that's where it was coming from. And that's what we you know. That's yeah. yeah, so it's very interesting, man. But I didn't, I knew that I was kind of setting us up for a problem if we didn't, if we said there were no big races going on this past weekend, and then that whole thing happened. So, anyways... Um, cool deal that uh, that they've wrapped that season up. I'm excited to see what they do next. It's again, I've said it a thousand times, but anytime I see like race cars, drag cars on cable television, mm-hmm. like on a on a major network, I don't care where they're doing burnouts. If they're doing burnouts in school zones, which I'm getting myself in trouble, but like or the moon or whatever, I'm gonna celebrate it because we need this sport. Drag racing needs so badly for car culture and hot rodding gear heading whatever you want to call it it needs to be a part of pop culture it needs to be cool and fashionable and i think that the street outlaws if they've accomplished anything they have made it they've made it fashionable in my opinion they've made it fashionable to have a cool car again yeah 
You know what I mean? Like when I was in high school, graduating high school, it, I was remember towards the end of it. Probably. It was yeah, it was towards the end of it. You know what I mean? Because I remember being weird. I was a weirdo, is what I was. I was I can like, see that. thanks, you know. But I was like the cool kids in my high school class had like convertible Mitsubishi Eclipses. Like I remember the coolest car in the parking lot was this local lawyer's kid. He had a black. Mitsubishi Eclipse with like chrome wheels on it, just factory wheels. And I think it had a tan convertible top. And it was like, you know, in my eyes, I'm like, piece of shit. You know what I mean? But it around town, he was like super cool. I had an S10 pickup truck with a 406 in it, right? It ran 1090s, you know, through the mufflers with a bench right. seat and a column shifter. It, you know, I thought I had like the coolest car on the planet Earth. But it was just a red S10. You know what I mean? Like people, nobody was into it. It you was not called me. cool. Yeah. I, could, I could have made you cool. <laughs> we just trap a keg in the back and give you a sleeve of solo cups, and you would have been the coolest son yeah, bitch around. It's probably true. Yeah. It, it worked out for you. It you did. know what I mean? It it's did. Well, I, but I was, I felt like the odd man out. It was weird because like all of my friends, the only people that I knew that really appreciated like how good my truck ran or whatever, uh, they were all like 40. Yeah. Those were all my friends. My friends were my dad's friends. Well, because you were basically. hanging out at the racetrack every yeah, day. Yeah, you know, and there was nothing wrong with that. But I, I think about it now, and even in our little community here, you see it. I mean, you see the Midwest Street Cars t-shirts. You see the 1320 Video t-shirts. You, It seems like via YouTube and, you know, Discovery Channel as well, it's, it's cool to have a fast car again. I mean, I really think that it's cool to have a hot rod. And it, it, not necessarily like a hot rod in, not like a, you know, an old coupe with a small block in it or whatever. But, like, it's cool to have a car that you care about again. I mm-hmm. think it's become fashionable, and I really don't know that we can... I don't know that anybody deserves more credit for that than the street outlaws. I mean, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, if, it, if it's... It, it would tend to be that if they're doing it on TV, it's cool, and people want to do it too. So I'm excited about that. And I really didn't mean to go on a street outlaws rant, but here we go. We yeah. got on it. We got on it. I don't know how far we're into this thing, but holy cow. <laughs> I don't think, honestly, I think it's a fun topic, man. But I did, I, I hit up basically the, the squad here. It's uh, being that we didn't have a ton of stuff going on this past weekend, I thought it would be cool to do one of our Q&A things. Early on in the whole, uh, in the history of the podcast, we would do, uh, what do we call it? Slide into our DMs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we, off, we yeah. offer people the opportunity to slide into our DMs. And... We got some stuff that we didn't want, but we got some stuff that we did want, and we get some great questions. We get a lot of great questions via Facebook, but I did, um, being that this is kind of a celebratory week for us, uh, for those that don't know, Drag Illustrated Magazine, we, we started this company in October 2005, so here we are, um, putting sending our 150th issue off to the printer, man. I remember, you know, 14 years ago thinking about, man, how are we going to do this first issue? How are we ever going to get it done? And here we are, um, nearly 15 years later, a decade and a half later, and it's like we blow through these things. It's unbelievable, man. But our first question um, was, it comes from the inside, not prison. not pri- <laughs> Murder Tone just got the harp out. Um, <laughs> this first question comes from the inside, and I'm not talking about um, a prison, just a member of the Drag Illustrated team here. We do get a lot of correspondence from prison, though. We do, a ton. It's crazy. I mean, we could have Caroline come in here and, and vouch for us. Yep. We get a handwritten letter from prison, I don't know, at least monthly, I would say. I'd say 
Probably more than that. Probably more than that, yeah. you know? So shout out to all of our friends on the inside. Um, Josh Hatchett, our senior editor here at Drag Illustrated, asked me if I had a favorite story about uh, getting Drag Illustrated up off the ground and going. And I thought about it, and he asked me this. I asked people, I asked everybody to send questions uh, last week. So this one came in over the weekend, and I thought about it. And I actually ended up writing my column about it, and I thought it would be fun to talk about this with you a little bit because this camera, the camera right. that this story is about is still in our possession. And I just think it's funny because... Um, DI-150, it's cool because it correlates. I think this is the first time this has ever happened, that one of our like landmark numbers, because uh, 100 was just, uh, it was like an unthemed issue. You know, Typically, right. we've kind of developed this whole thing that I'm pretty proud of, that our editorial calendar at Drag Illustrated is full of themed issues. So we do you know, the hottest women in drag racing. We do the state of drag issue. We do the trending issue. We do the 30 under 30 issue. We do all these themed issues, and they've really served us well. People look forward to it. Yeah, Yeah, and it's cool because DI-150, it uh, correlates with our um, photo annual, the 2019 photo annual. So this has become, and honestly, it's it's not my favorite issue because I I like to read, but I, I like long stories and I like interviews, but not surprisingly, drag racing is so photogenic that people love this issue of the magazine because it's like, 99.9% 99.9% pictures. I mean, we we really we try hard to let the photos just do the talking for us. They stand on their own. We've in the past we've tried to, you know, hey, let's light write really long captions. Like let's try to give some some depth to the photos or whatever. And I realized, man, the more words and stuff that we put on top of these things, like we're we're trying to complement them, but we need to just get out of the way. I mean, the photos tell the story, you know, and so that's where we are here in 2019, uh, sending our 2019 photo annual to print. It's our 150th issue, and I thought I would tell this quick story. It's not super quick, but like I said, I wrote about it in my column this month, and I just think back to how crazy it is, man, that uh, how big of a role photography has played in this whole thing and how, dude, I had no idea. I mean, literally, we were putting the first issue of the magazine together, and I remember my, my partners at the time, Dave and Wyatt, we were sitting in this chicken coop that we had remodeled. And uh, when I say remodeled, I mean like put windows in, put an AC uh, window unit in, and that's what we called our Drag Illustrated office. It was, looking back, it was horrific. I mean, it's no bathroom, nothing. I mean, it's horrible. So anyways. A lot of protein. Yeah, the eggs and the chicken. They weren't in there anymore. You you, there was a, a few, like you could you could tell they were in there at you one point. You weren't going hungry. But uh, <laughs> no, back then, I definitely wasn't going hungry, buddy. At that point in time, I was walking around about 250. I got and uh, yeah, you've got photos. I know everybody knows. Everybody knows. Maybe. Everybody on the internet knows that you have photos whenever I was heavier. But, anyways, <laughs> I, uh, well, I lived on a diet of like pepperoni pizza and Rockstar energy drink, full flavor, you know, leaded. Yeah. This was not. I don't even know if they made a zero calorie version at that point <laughs> oh, in time. Oh no way! Because that was way before that whole thing happened. But, anyways, we. Uh, I remember we were putting the first issue of the magazine together, and we were. I was so excited about all these stories we were writing, but I quickly realized, like, wow, we don't have any. Like, we were starting the magazine at the end of this 2005 race season, and I start thinking to myself, like, crap, we don't have any photos. Like, we're not going to be even able to get any photos. I don't even know. 
this is going to be a deal. And I had a network at that point in time that I was pretty proud of. I always tell people all the time that, you know, your network determines your net worth. And I, I believe that even then, you know. So as a young man, I took great pride in meeting people, developing relationships. And I had all these I had connections at racetracks, at engine shops. I knew people that were race promoters. I knew racers of all makes and models, you know, every type of racer. But I don't think I knew like a single real legit photographer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, which was this was always my answer back then. Eh, No big deal. I'll just do it myself. No problem. So I remember I I was looking at the schedule and there was uh, in February we were putting Shannon the Iceman Jenkins on the cover. And Shannon is like my hero, right? He's, I've idolized this guy for a long time. And it's weird because I didn't really know anything about him other than, other than his nickname. And I liked his car. You know yeah. what I mean? And I would read stories about him in you know, some of the magazines that existed. But there weren't really a lot of stories that focused on the people. So I didn't know a lot about the guy. But I was just enamored with this kind of this image that I had created of him in my head. Mm-hmm. And... We needed pictures of Shannon. I looked at his schedule or I looked at some of the races and I knew from calling around or whatever that he was going to be he was going to be racing at the ADRL event. This is the American Drag Racing League in like 2006. I think if it wasn't the first race of the season, it was like the second, right? Early in the season, the ADRL Speed Tech Nitrous Winter Drags at Valdosta, Georgia. And I remember driving down there. It's about a thousand miles from Kirksville. Missouri to Valdosta, Georgia. And I remember getting to uh, Atlanta and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to, this was my plan. I had planned on buying a camera somewhere along the way. I figured I'd see an electric, a Best Buy is what I was looking for. And I remember driving through like Macon, Georgia and seeing a, uh, and a billboard for a Best Buy. So I, I take the exit. Can't remember that. I think it was like Eisenhower Parkway into Macon. Take this road pull into to Best Buy and I bust inside this place and I'm like, all right, I'm going to find a camera. I'm going to buy all the shit I need right now and surely I can figure this out, you know? So I look around and there's so many... I, I was overwhelmed immediately because I, I didn't know what I was looking for or what I wanted. So I started asking this guy, you know, probably a member of the Geek Squad, some questions. <laughs> hey, man, here's what I'm doing, kind of action sports photography and he points me out this little Canon camera and it was... It was like 800 bucks, and it came with a lens, so that was exciting. He pointed me out some other little accessories that I needed, tried to sell me on some insurance policy, and I was like, nah, man, I just, I, I just need this to be as cheap as possible because at the time, that was probably the most money I'd ever spent on anything that wasn't a race car part, you know, a car part. Right. So this $800 camera and probably a couple of hundred dollars worth of, exp- of, of uh, whatever you call it, little accessories, right. I'm going holy crap, this is a big investment, you know? So I, I drive the rest of the way to, uh, to Valdosta a few hours, get to the track. By this time, I've already missed a round of qualifying. And I remember going, holy crap, like, this thing is complicated. There's all these dials on it or whatever. But the guy at Best Buy, he had told me, hey, man, it's 2006. Just let the camera do the work for you. Put it on automatic. You don't need to know anything about it. And I'm like, really? And... I just had to take his word for it because I literally had no idea what else to do other than to just point and shoot this thing. I never really taken photos other than like in the grandstands of an NHRA national event. So I remember getting, I was in my rental car or no, I was in my Lumina. I think I had my Lumina at the time. I bust this thing open. I'm reading through this deal through the, the, the Canon catalog or the little instruction booklet that came with it. And I'm like, okay, 
I don't know what any of this stuff means. I'm going to put it on auto. I'm going to go out there and start shooting pictures. And I went out, I took some photos, and I remember thinking, like, I'm looking at my thing. You know what I mean? I'm like, I I think I've got a gift. You know what I mean? Like, this is unbelievable. These photos are so good. They're vivid. And I remember, like, my first photo, I think the first picture I ever took along the guardrail was of Burton Auxier's um, Corvette, Pro Nitrous Corvette. And it's like, like got a red and white and orange kind of flamey paint job on it or whatever. And he's doing a burnout. And I'm looking at this photo like, I don't know what everybody, I can't believe people make such a big deal out of this. I mean, this photo is phenomenal, right? And it was so funny because I was, I mean, beaming with pride. And at this point, I mean, I'm going, yeah, no surprise. No real shock. I think every photographer has done that when they buy a new camera. I mean, seriously. And then you look back after a few months, you look back at those photos like, (laughs) that was shit. Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) And it's funny because I remember uh, it was a busy day, right? Because I had never met Shannon Jenkins. I talked to him on the phone. I'd already interviewed him. And I remember he was sitting on a golf cart. And I remember looking at the staging lanes, and it was like for Q2, I think. And there's no white and blue Camaro. He was notorious for this car, right? His car was blue and white the year before. They'd painted it white and blue, reversed it. It'd been photographed all over. And I'm like, why isn't his car in the lanes? And I kind of panicked, you know. But I see Mike Castellana, his teammate, the Western Beef Cavalier. And I'm like, well, and I see the Iceman sitting on this golf cart smoking. (sighs) Right? I mean, I see it. This is Mm -hmm. the coolest mother. I mean, this dude is the coolest person alive, right? And the title of my cover story uh, for that first issue was The James Dean of Drag Racing. I mean, I I just held this guy in such high regard, you know, Mm -hmm. and I still do. He's, Mm -hmm. He's every bit as cool today as he was then. It's unbelievable. But... I'll tell another Shannon story one of these days. But anyways, I, it took me like four wide laps around the golf cart and stuff before I got the balls up to at, like say, hey, Shannon, Wes, nice to meet you or whatever. And he was stood right up, you know, shook my hand and, and whatever you need, buddy, you know, just make yourself at home or whatever. And I was like, I'm hanging out with the Iceman, Psh, whatever. <laughs> I don't care whatever happens next. Like this is a big big box in my lifts in my life and I just ticked it. I'm hanging out with the Iceman, you know, so Anyways, I remember, I go, where's, uh, where's your hot rod? And he's like, oh, I already qualified. We're well in the show. Mike's not in the show. We'll get Mike's car in the show. Then I'll bring my car back up here for the, for the final session of the night, and we'll really get after it, you know? And I'm like, oh, okay, cool, you know? So anyways, I'm thinking to myself, well, I better go get some practice photos because the only real reason I was in Georgia was to get pictures of Shannon. I needed pictures of him, and I needed pictures of his car. Mm-hmm. Like, I had, if, if those, if I got that, the, the, the mission, the trip was a success, you know, so, but now I'm starting to realize, depending on the weather, and there was like bad weather coming, I may only get one shot to get a picture of this guy's car tonight, like he's only going to make one pass tonight, you know, and it's supposed to rain tomorrow, mm-hmm. not good, so I better get up there and get some practice, and I remember taking pictures, and as the sun started to set, my photos started to suck, I'm going, Shit, they're all streaky and been kind of out of focus and grainy. And, and grainy. And I don't, what is this ISO all these people are talking <laughs> about? I didn't know what it meant. And it was, I mean, it was super stressful, right? And I remember looking, I'm like, I just might as well not take photos because these are no good. No, they're, they're, uh, 
they look like some modern art deco thing, like streaky, the lights, they're blurry, they're out of focus. Like maybe one spot on somebody's car would be kind of in focus, but it was just a total disaster. And so now at this point, I'm spinning that dial at the top like a roulette wheel, just, <laughs> you know, spinning it, taking a picture. Nope, sucks. Spin it again. P, M, A, a, all these different letters. I have no idea what any of this stuff means. So I'm taking pictures, taking pictures. They're horrible. I go back to the pits because I'm like, well, screw it. Uh, I'm just going to go over here, try to get some pictures of something that's not moving. Right? I'm going to tell Shannon to stand still. And if I can just get one photo of him kind of like leaned over an engine, it's game over. If I can get one picture of him with like uh, an intake manifold covered in nitrous you know, systems and lines and solenoids... And him leaning over some carburetors, you know what I mean, or something with a cigarette, or just something that's cool, I'm good if I can get that one photo. So I get over there and I'm taking a bunch of pictures. And he, uh, I remember they called us to the lanes. I think Tucci was announcing. Tucci calls Pro Nitrous to the lanes. So Shannon looks at me and he says, You might want to grab your camera. Because at the time, no Pro Nitrous door slammer had ever ran in the three second zone. But everybody'd been 40, 401, 402. There was, a, there was probably a half dozen cars that had run four O's, you know, or more, maybe a dozen. So he, he went to this event with the express purpose of running in the threes, right? Uh-huh. So he, the Iceman, my hero, just looks at me and says, you better grab that camera. And I'm going, I barely know how to turn this thing on. You wouldn't say that if you just saw it on shot. Yes, yeah, like, oh, my God. And it was so funny because... I, the I, the last thing I needed was to be in a situation where the quality of my photos were going to really matter. Now you're in so, it. Now I'm in it. And I'm thinking to myself, like, please, dear God, have someone up there that knows what they're doing. And I didn't know anybody, right? So I didn't know anybody that was at the race, really. Uh, I was overwhelmed by the whole situation, like the number of cars, how fast they were. Because in the Midwest, like a hot rod pro mod ran like 430s. I mean, seriously. I mean, and you go down here and like that would be a car that you wouldn't even show up with a car that ran 430s. Uh-huh. You know, what I mean, that's just you're 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 a nobody. Right. So I remember going up. We ride up on the golf cart. He just tells me to hop on the golf cart. And I'm just thrilled with this because I'm riding up here with the Iceman. Right. And I remember we pull up to the staging lanes and one of the guys that I I'd met the whole team, Wayne Davis doing the clutch. Um Wormy Helkin, he was kind of like he's he passed away a few years ago. He was a wonderful dude, an incredible guy. He was kind of famous in the pits, to be honest. Steve Wormy Helkin, uh, uh, God rest his soul, wonderful guy. But he kind of was the the overall crew guy. So he's checking nitrous bottle and tire pressure and whatnot. And and there was another guy, Jason Sharp. So Jason worked at Speed Tech Nitrous, and he was kind of like a de facto team manager or whatever, and deeply involved with the operation. And we get up to the staging lanes, and we're like two or three cars back, and I'm like, well. Good luck, Shannon. You know, fist bump or whatever, and walked up toward the wall, and I'm terrified because I hope. I mean, I want him to run this this pass because I want to see it, but uh, I'm like, I don't, I I don't know what my photos are going to look like. This is the last thing I need is this guy to make history, <laughs> and like somehow I'm gotten myself in the role of being the one taking photos. Yeah, did you get that? <laughs> I got something, you know? <laughs> and I remember having, before that, I like tried to take some pictures of the scoreboard, but I didn't have enough of a Zoom, really. It was a disaster. And anyways, as I walk up to, the, I'm at the back of the car, and I walk up toward the golf cart, and Jason Sharp, he leans down, 
and he grabs this camera that was sitting on the floorboard of the golf cart. And he picks this camera up, and it's like twice the size of mine. It's got like an extra battery in the bottom, I remember, and like a lens on it that's like off-white. You know what I'm talking about? Like Mm -hmm. the camera was black, but the lens is like off-white, and it's like two foot long. It's got this huge um, lens hood thing on it that's like custom painted. You know, he had flames painted on it. I'm like, huh, this guy's clearly serious about this shit, you know? And he looks at me, and he goes, don't worry, buddy. We'll get you some pictures. And I'm like... Oh, thank you, Jesus. So we go up there. He shows me a couple of frames of his photos, and I'm looking at, the, at his camera like, okay, um, I'm out. I retire. And I swear to you, those are probably some of the last drag racing photos I ever took. I mean, I took more, but it was like a life lesson in a way because I literally I knew what was about to happen. I thought Shannon would run in the threes. I really, really did. But he... It was it was going to be I didn't want to be the one responsible for these pictures. And I also didn't want to be like a thousand miles from my house and be jacking with a camera during this historic moment. I want to be I want to be involved in it like I or I want to witness it, not through a viewfinder, not through a camera. I want to watch. So I'm standing beside Jason. I know he's got the mega super badass camera out. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to watch all this stress. All this anxiety about, you know, whether or not I was going to have the right camera or not. And I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to watch. And I watched Shannon run a 399 with a 2 at 185 miles an hour and change. Like almost 186. The first ever three-second pass for a nitrous car. I remember throwing my hands up in the air like I did it. You know what I mean? Like I had nothing to do with it. I just met these people. But it, it was such a big moment for me. And... Like I said, I'm kind of glad because I just put my camera down, literally. I knew Jason had it, and I looked around, and there were other photographers. And it was one of those moments when I realized, and we do this a lot now, but like you just let, let people do what they're good at, right? Like You don't have to be good at everything. Do what you're good at, right? And at the time, what I thought I was good at was writing stories, telling stories, and I needed to focus on that. Let photographers photograph. Focus. Yeah, right? Yeah, focus, you know? But, I mean, it's true, and it's funny because when I look back on 150 issues of Drag Illustrated, that relationship with Jason Sharp, I think he shot the next 50, next 50 covers of the magazine, like, in order. I mean, one after the other. Mm -hmm. And I never really... I, I learned a lot about the craft because he tried to teach me. God bless him. I mean, he tried to teach me and and I did continue to dabble, like take photos here and there or whatever. And it's fun. It is fun. I mean, and it's it's actually really rewarding. Like when you get a great photo and that, that kind of tells a story or has some depth to it, it really is an amazing feeling. And But what Jason really did for me, I think the most was teach me to respect the craft. And I feel like I, feel like I developed my eye for it not le- not necessarily like the technical know-how you know so so much as i developed an eye for it what i wanted photos to be what i expected and jason helped us develop this really high level photography early on in the magazine that we didn't even understand how far ahead of our time we were you know like i think with the advent in in the popularity widespread popularity of digital photography Great photography is everywhere. You know, it's crazy. I mean, you can get a really incredible photo with your iPhone. 
mm-hmm. right now. I mean, you really can. And yeah. but there still are those people that have that eye that know how to tell a story with a photo to know they know the angle to get the the, the timing, all these different things. And I'm glad that uh, it's kind of cool because photography, I mean, I guess with the name Drag Illustrated, it's no surprise that photography was going to play a big role in what we do. But I think that it's kind of perfect that the 150th, 150th issue is the photo annual because we really get to just showcase all of these photographers that we've worked with. And early on, we had a really small group and we still do, you know, and I think it's something that I really we do this with writers. We really try to help people develop a voice, develop a unique voice, and we pride ourselves in then associating that voice with Drag Illustrated exclusively. Mm-hmm. We really work hard with writers to make sure that they're not writing stories for 500 different outlets. We really want people to write for us, you know, and we try to do everything in our power to foster those relationships and develop them so that we can turn our writers into superstars, turn them into people that have a have a that are well known in our community. And we try to do the same thing with photographers. And I'm really, I feel that we've done a lot of that. And I'm super proud of it because the photos in our book make all the difference, man. I mean, we've, a, a, a slew of great photos can completely, uh, you know, make light of some, some kind of lesser editorial. You know what I mean? Like if you've got a story that is tough or a race that wasn't very well attended or, or something that you're trying to spin, Man, some great photos will go a long, long way, man. And we have been blessed, right? I mean, you work with a ton of these guys. We've got an awesome, mm-hmm. we kind of got an army right now of really good photo aces. Oh, well, thank you. I've been working hard <laughs> on it. it. But you know, I that, started with the same camera. That yeah, that's what the reason I was, because yeah. you still, and you still have it, right? Yes, I do. That thing's like an heirloom it around is. here. Yeah. It's kind of funny because. And heirloom, it's probably, paperweight, yeah, I mean, yeah. Heirloom, paperweight, <laughs> yeah. same difference, yeah. I found it in the back room one day, I was like, huh, I'm set, standing down the starting line anyway, might as well snap a few pictures. That's exactly yeah, that's, what happened. Yeah, and where we go, Memphis or something? Something, and I was like, bought some parts for it because I was missing a few things. And well, and wasn't the screen broken? No. I made a mistake, I think I must have gotten it fixed, because I, and this was a, I can't believe I even did this, I, I, uh, I checked that thing inside like a duffel bag one time. I can't remember what the deal was. It was like a really tight connect. For whatever reason, I thought it would be smart to check that camera, put it in my checked bag on an airline flight. But like not a nice suitcase. No, not like a duffel bag. Dude, I didn't have two nickels to rub together, <laughs> right? So I charged that camera on my mom's credit card. I mean, it's literally, I was yeah. broke as shit. So I, uh, I remember getting, getting to the airport. I think, I can't remember where I was, but I remember getting to Kansas City and... I just knew that it was a bad idea to check that thing. I just knew it, you know? And I remember opening it, and the first thing I, I dug this thing, I wrapped it in T-shirts and stuff. You know, I tried. But I pulled it out, and the, the, view, the screen on the back was shattered. And I'm like, golly, I don't even know how to go about fixing this. I think Jason sent it to Canon and got it fixed for me is actually what happened. But uh, still pro- works, man. Probably helped your career. It probably did. <laughs> that to get it away from me. Yeah. It's so funny anymore. because there have been these days and this it it sounds like I don't mean to sound like lazy or whatever, but it just makes no sense for me to try to take photos because we're not going to use them. My photos suck. They're never very good and it really is just it's an exercise in futility or whatever. Like I'm just not I mean I remember one race that we went to that I really tried hard. Do you remember um, Valdosta? 
Yeah. I watched like 75 YouTube videos. I bought some reflectors because we had to shoot somebody. I can't remember. The pressure was on to get a cover photo. But remember? We needed, we, needed a, we needed two covers. We needed the winner and we needed... Uh, Keith Berry. Keith Berry. Yeah. Yep. And so I remember, dude, we busted ass that weekend. I mean, mm-hmm. it, we worked so hard because I, I had to take as many photos as I could because I knew they'd be bad. It, you know what I mean? So I figured like if I take 5,000 photos there's a good chance that like 50 of them are usable. And that was literally the math. Like I'm going, we need to take as many of these photos, as many pictures as humanly possible and hope that one of them works out. And hey, man, we did good because I've actually shot the cover. Holy crap. I shot Kevin Mullins for the cover. Remember that? Yep. That was in Memphis at Tyler Crossnose race. Yep. Shortly after he had, he went like 409. 411 there. 411 there. And then he went 409 at Ducks race, right? Mm-hmm. So he was... I shot him for the cover. I mean, he, it was a bad photo. Good photo. Kevin looked fine, and the cover turned out fine, but no depth of field, nothing. You know what I mean? Because I just... It's still pretty cool. That's a cool cover. It was a good yeah, cover. Yep. Um, the shot I got of Keith Berry in Valdosta, the sky was bright enough, and the reflect it worked, and it was great. I was really proud of that photo. I thought that photo was very good, very good. Then I got a photo of Dwayne Mills that we ended up using on the cover as well because yep. he ended up winning the race or winning No Mercy or whatever. So it was, do yeah. You know, do you know I'm on that cover? Yes, you're the reflection in his glasses. <laughs> it's funny, right? It is. JT's first I, cover, Murder Tundra, yeah, makes the cover back, of Dragon Back when I was just a glimmer in Keith Berry's eye. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so funny. funny. It we, is. We, get it, we get this big poster size. You know, every cover we do, we get a big poster size. Yeah. And it's propped up in the office. I look over, I'm like, Oh, there I am. There I am. <laughs> there I be. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's funny. You know, I, I used to really labor over that because I would tell Mike Carpenter, our graphic design um, czar here at DI, the the art director and pro- art director and production coordinator, I'd always be like, "Hey, man, Photoshop that out. I don't like it." He's like, "What do you mean? It's the photo." And I'm like, "I don't like that in there. Like, can't you make it go away? Like, it looks so stupid." And he's like, no, look at every magazine. Well, this is common. And, and uh, he was right. Because it, it kind of adds, like, it, <laughs> it, it's, it's like proof of the effort, kind yeah. of, almost. I mean, because I, I just would want to Photoshop everything out of every photo. <laughs> like, I mean, I was so, I'd be like, hey, all those telephone poles and hay bales in the background, I don't like that. Get those. Can you make those go away? He'd be like, well, yeah, yeah kind of, but you why? Put pool over on the left and re- nice resort over the <laughs> I was really bad about it. On a beach I would, I would see these photos, and I'd be like, oh, he doesn't look very good in that photo. Can you guys, like, clean his face up make him, like, I don't know, 15 pounds lighter? And they would look at me like, What? No, that's yeah. what he looks like. Like, why don't you look more badass? You think we could put some uh, storm clouds in the background, some lightning yeah, coming down? You, you know? know, yeah. It's yeah. but hey, you know, it's just. <laughs> I I always uh, I ask a lot of folks. I do. I have to apologize sometimes because I I ask. Um, yeah, I ask. Uh, I I ask a lot of everybody, but I I apologize, man. It, it's all worked out, man. One hundred and fifty issues. Um, give a round of applause, a little golf clap for the whole squad, man, because. It really has been an amazing, amazing thing to see to see happen. You know what I mean? And I'm I'm super proud of it. You know what I mean? Like I'm super proud that we've um, been able to do this for this long and see the company continue to grow, see our circulation continue to grow in 2019, which is something I'm really proud of. We had our biggest July ever this year. We sold almost 1,100 subscriptions to the magazine in July. 
And I don't know. That's just crazy to think about. You know what I mean? And it's just um, it's a testament to the people that listen to this show, watch the videos, read the magazine. We've got uh, we're really lucky, man. It's crazy. We are. And, but we've got some great people. I mean, really, like I'm I just think people love stories. People love a great story. And that's kind of our that's what we're dedicated to telling stories of racers and the people that make all this cool stuff happen every weekend, mm-hmm. you know? So, all right, let's keep on going. I've got, uh, I don't know how long we've been going, a little bit here. So we've probably got like 20 more minutes. And I want to dive into a handful of these questions. So one of them that we got via Facebook was, where's this at? Okay, there's been a lot of questions here as we head into the final part of the NHRA season, right? The countdown of the championship, it's well underway. We're down to the final two races of the season. Somehow, it's the end of October. Halloween is this week. It's, it's crazy. The NHRA rolls into Las Vegas, then a couple weeks later for the finals in Pomona and California to end the season. There's going to be some champions crowned in the next couple of weeks. And one of the questions that I got was um, about team cars versus customers. Um, and team cars just in championship, you know, chases regardless, like helping each other, helping each other out, man. And I'm just curious, kind of, you know, I think you'll have an interesting perspective on this because just of your sports background, but how do you like, so there was a couple of situations here in the last couple of weeks. There was one that I thought was very obvious in the first round of the NHRA national event in Dallas. You've got Jason line number two in the points or three, but in the hunt, right? facing off with Greg Anderson, who's kind of out of the hunt. They're teammates, right? Both the Summit cars. And I got to be honest, I just felt like it was, I mean, and I wasn't mad about it. I mean, I'm going, if I'm Greg Anderson, I'm waiting until I see Jason's wind light come on, and then I'm taking off. And I know that sounds horrible, and people are going to beat on me for that, but, and I want to see, I mean, I can see both sides of it, right? Because I'm going, if I can help my teammate in any way, I want to help him. You know what I mean? If I'm out of contention for the championship and he's in contention for the championship, for me, it's kind of hard to argue against. I understand that there's sportsmanship and morals and integrity and all these things, but like, do you see where I'm coming from? I mean, I just, I'm curious what's your perspective because should there be team orders? I think you're going to see it. I mean, I, it's going to happen. I mean, like it happened in NASCAR, it happened in drag racing. It happens, you know, it's just going to happen when you have teams, you know, it's happening in motocross, supercross. I mean, it's just going to happen. I mean, it seems to me but inevitable. But in maybe- a spectator, I think that it sucks. Yeah, it does. Because you're like, well, son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> or especially if you're a fan of maybe the car that they're going to end up having, that they're making a run at. Right, right. You know, and, and now they put them back in contention where. The other person had worked their ass off right. to, to, oh, get, yeah, to get yeah. ahead. Because, I mean, well, I mean, and in that first round, man, Greg Anderson wins on a whole shot, right? So, like, he he, he just outperforms Jason Line. You got a layup. Right? Yeah. It, I mean, and, and, it's, yeah. and I'm thinking to myself, like, I mean, I just, it, it was crazy because I honestly thought Greg would throw it. I, I, I don't think, I didn't think that he would throw it blatantly. You know what I mean? I thought maybe the car would run off or a little bit, you know, be soft on clutch or something or go out there and shake the tires or or whatever. But, man, they went out there and drag raced and the better driver won. You know what I mean? And it was kind of crazy and it felt like a proud moment, you know, for the sport of drag racing that there wasn't any team orders. And I actually talked uh, to a handful of people about the operation in some of these teams. And I was told that, you know, most of them 
really have a, you know, we're a team when it's like when it's time to be a team, we're a team. If someone's in need, if someone's hurt, if someone's down on parts or break something, we're a team. But in situations like that on the racetrack, we're competitors no matter no matter what. Now, granted, we may be if it's, uh, you know, two elite cars or two KB cars in the final or two Coletta cars in the final. Yes, there's not really a loser because we're stoked. We're both in the final. But these two cars are going to compete by God. And we're going to find out these two teams, these two drivers, they're going to compete. And it's been cool. That's some teams. That's, that's some teams. That's not every team. That maybe yeah, and it's not every team. But I don't know. Like, can you be mad? Can you really be mad at anybody who uses it to their advantage? I mean, no, if, no because they allow it. Right. You know. I mean. And how do you, how do you write rules against it? Yeah, because they're wanting as many cars as they can. I mean, really, right. I mean, I mean you big, want as big, many cars big as you can. Teams. They're want, They're wanting that. You know, well, so I mean, and how? Like, so you're gonna say, man, I know you want to come spend some money with our sport. But I can't let you do that. I can't let you do that. You know, I, mean, you know? I see that. You know, like um, just another in motorsports. You know, when when Dale Earnhardt passed away, he was blocking. You know, at the end of that race, and as a spectator, you're sitting there going, "God damn it!" You know, yeah. what I, mean? I mean, you're you're, you're mad because you watched you've wasted three hours of your life to maybe <laughs> maybe not see the fastest car win. You know, which, yeah, which happens a lot actually, but. No, but, I but know the, what you're saying. But for blocking, fair, you know, yeah. because a teammate is blocking, not not because you got out drove or anything. You know, it's weird. I mean, it's weird because I think about it sometimes, and there have been a lot of like kind of uh, fairly famous moments in drag racing when you know a race has got thrown or whatever uh, to get someone in the countdown or to or to to jockey someone around in points. And I've if always you have if you have the ability to do it, teammates, they're they're going to do it. I mean, could even be said that. Even if you were really good friends with Bob down down the way there, you know, and you're out of it and he's in it, you might even help him out just because, you know. Y- yeah, and, man. And hope you get the, the favor in return one day. Well, and you're probably <laughs> going to need it. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's because drag racing is every bit as much about luck sometimes, a lot of times, as anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, you need, I don't know that you could look at any race in 2019, not very many, or in history, where a guy hasn't had a lucky round here and there. You know, a lucky round or a lucky break, somebody breaks something or a red light or or whatever, mm-hmm. not make the call. I mean, it's just that type of thing it, at this level. You're going to need a little bit of it, you know, because you're not the competition's too good to just go run over top of everybody all the time, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So it's a it's an interesting thing, man. It really, really is an interesting thing. And I'm I think we're going to see some these next couple of races. It's going to be exciting. Because there's there's a lot of good cars in the hunt, and there are there are teammates involved. There are, there's going to be some opportunity for some of this stuff. And I just got to tell you, I think what I see that I that I don't think this the fan that's pissed, right? The fan that's maybe in the uh, sitting in their lazy boy or whatever, and they're watching this race. And God bless them, people, because we need them. I think I don't think we have enough of them. I think that's drag racing is. You know, we we don't embrace our fans, in my opinion, the way we should. I think this is an interesting side note that I think people are embarrassed to say they're a fan. I really do, because I think oh. racers, there's such a desire to be hardcore. And I've noticed this, like drag racers don't make great drag racing fans. Mm-hmm. Like I know so many people in my personal life that I can be like, hey, you want to go to the race this weekend? And they're like, no. I'm like, I got free tickets. <laughs> they're like, well, there's no class for me to run, so I don't want to go. 
They like, like, well, yeah, they like the racing that they're doing. They like the racing that they're doing. You know what I mean? And I think that's a it's actually a problem with drag racing because I think there are a lot of racers that if there's not a class for them to race their car at the the event or whatever the event is, local or whatever, they don't go. And it sucks. It's a problem because we need to go. You have to go as a fan, show support, bring a friend, whatever. You have to go. You and and I think that that's something that only here in 2019 I've started really getting vocal about identifying myself as a fan because I don't want people to be afraid to say it because I think it's awesome. I'm proud to be a drag racing fan, right? And so when I think about that drag racing fan sitting in the grandstands or sitting in their, their lazy board on the couch at home watching the race and they see someone throw a race, I, I totally understand how that would be infuriating like this mother you know can't believe it can't you know i've sat here like you said mm-hmm. wasted three hours of my life listen to you know these guys all day and i want to see and hear this guy throws in the towel right there you know what i mean like let's this guy buy but if you if you would see what they go through during the course of the year right and how many times like there's it I mean it's funny because sometimes they'll have the best car by a mile and then the littlest thing. The littlest thing costs them a race, right? The the craziest thing, right? You know what I mean? Something breaks that never breaks, right? Or whatever the case may be. The timing system malfunctions or whatever. Or, you know, you're, you don't get to make your qualifying pass because a storm rolled in or whatever. There's all these things that are out of your control. And it just, I guess I'm not surprised by it. And I'm kind of willing to accept a certain amount of it because if late in the season... 22, 23 races or 17, 16 races into the season, you've spent yourself silly. You're fighting with your wife. You know, everything's a disaster. You've been gone all year, right? And if you can control one little thing that's going to make it easier and get you an inch closer to this ultimate goal, I just have a hard time being mad at anybody I about get it. it. I, I do. I think that the, the person is probably going to be the most mad is maybe the fan of whoever's setting in first yeah. and whoever's making a run at them. You yeah. Because they're going, oh, they just got to lay up. Well, you I mean. Coming and, after my boy. Right. Right. I mean, and, and in all fairness, I'm a huge, it's well known, I'm a big Erica Enders fan. Mm-hmm. I, I think that she's one of the best drivers in drag racing. I put her on my Mount Rushmore of, of current drivers the other day. I think that she's as good as it gets. And she's win, She's leading the NHRA Pro Should we get points. you a shirt that says EE Fanboy? That'd be fine. <laughs> we probably ought to do that. Do that, okay? <laughs> but it's like I'm a legit big fan Blake of Eric. Wants one over here. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I mean, and who could blame him? I think that she's a superstar. I really do. And she's leading the pro stock points, right? And I got to tell you that I'd have been if if Greg would have thrown that Greg Anderson would have thrown that race and let Jason win, and it would have, and it would have moved him closer to Erica or past just, or past her. Let's just say past her. I'd have been a mad mother. I'd have See been what I'm pissed. I would have been. Yeah. I mean, hot. I'd have been mad. You know what I mean? And so, it, but it is fun to talk about, yeah. right? Because you can kind of cut it a million different ways. And and I know, I mean, this question that we got. It, I'd this, probably try to spend somebody out, you know. Just. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, people, this is something that is like not taken lightly at all. Not taken lightly, not taken lightly whatsoever, man. And it's, but it is kind of interesting and it's a fun thing to talk about. So I'm glad we did that. Um, next question. I got two more. Okay. Are you down for two more murder tundra? Okay. We got a couple more questions. Um, 
Well, there's actually three, but we'll have to move really fast. What are you looking at me funny for? What are you I, laughing I about? I mean, I've, I've asked a question this week, even. You asked a question? Yeah. <laughs> Something about natural light. What was it? Why do they put Natter Days in pink cans? Natter Days, the, the, the strawberry lemonade flavored beer. Yeah. I mean, are they strictly for women? No, man. I'm pretty comfortable with my sexuality. I wear pink like five, ten times a year. Trying easy. to stay with the pink flamingo theme, I think is what they're doing. Yeah. Do you like Natter Days? Man, I didn't think so. I've been making fun of everybody all summer long. Be like, <laughs> You're going to start drinking them during Oktoberfest. <laughs> yeah, right? I, everybody I mean, else moves to Sam Adams Oktoberfest, no, and you're not, like, you know what? I was out of beer the other day, and so I had a couple. I'm like, these actually aren't bad, but I did. I gave some, everybody so much hell all summer making there, fun of I them. Can't, I can have like, like, like half of one. So I've got like tall coolie cup. I've been kind of hiding them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I can have like half of one. I'm on that Corona premiere. I like I like Corona. I, I like, like Corona. any Corona. But that Corona pr- premiere, I just really like it. It's very good. I keep it at the house now, which is, I normally have never kept beer at the house. We just don't drink a lot of beer. Um, tequila and vodka we go through. But um, never kept a lot of beer at the house. But I have now made it a, uh, I just keep that Corona premiere. It's really good. I love that stuff, man. Yeah, I'll come over more often now. <laughs> now that you know, okay. Well, the <laughs> fridge in the in the garage is stocked. I promise. But um, okay. this question for real though was, and I've got like I said, three or four of them, and I just want to. It's fun, dude. The, so this is um, you'll like this one. So we'll just do this. Stevie Fast has won. Stevie Fast Jackson. Nobody is guessing who we're talking about. Stevie Fast Jackson won. Has won radio versus the world races. He's won NHRA Pro Mod races and the world championship this year. What's next for him? Uh, great Pro- question. Probably all the, the same things you just listed. I would say the same <laughs> things. I And I think we talked about this on my live Q&A last week. But, we did. you know, I don't want to see him go to Nitro Racing, but I'm going to encourage it. You know what I mean? Like, if there is an opportunity for him to move into Top Fuel or Funny Car, I'm not going to be mad about it. I I, I want to be mad about it selfishly. I want to go. I'm I'm a fan of Stevie's, and I think it'd be awesome. It would be awesome if there's going to be if there is someone that's operating in drag racing right now. He's probably still going to run all those. Things he too. probably will. He'll probably <laughs> run Pro Mod and Radio versus the World too. But I think about it, and if there's anybody in our sport right now that I believe has the personality, the charisma, and the the ability to back it all up uh, on the racetrack. It's Stevie. I mean, if there's anybody that I think can really, like, carry the burden of the sport of drag racing. I've talked about this a lot, how I feel the sport of drag racing has been kind of resting on John Force's shoulders for, like, three decades. I mean, really. He's been the guy. I literally just had a dude in here the other day. I can't remember who it was. Oh, my accountant, right? My accountant was in here the other day. And he was telling me how he doesn't really know a lot about drag racing, but of course he knows who John Force is, and he knows that he's. This is what he said. Well, I know, you know, I know John Force. I know that he drives a Ford, and I know that he's sponsored by Castrol GTX. And I'm thinking to myself, like, well, funny you should say that because he now drives a Chevy, and he's sponsored by Peak Antifreeze. But you know what I mean? It's just funny. But that's the only guy that I really can identify outside of maybe Big Chief and Murder Nova that has like mainstream notoriety that people just in the world if you have to if we walk down main street usa and ask someone in the street to name a drag racer they're going to say john force right and anymore though i get i mean a lot of street i, I, I bet you get it too. i mean like everywhere you go like so what do you do for a living and you tell them and they go 
Do you know them street outlaw guys? Yeah, I, know. I mean, that happens. It's crazy all the time. It's crazy. It really is crazy. But John Force has been the guy for three decades, and he's like seventy, not quite, but. And God, I mean, you got to give him credit. He's still at it. He's still racing at a high level. He's won races this year. Uh, I mean, he's he's a bad dude. I mean, he's still got it. But I also sometimes wonder, this is kind of a two-part answer to this question. I, I do think that it's time. We need someone. The torch has to be passed, right? I mean, and I don't know what's... I use the ba- the basketball analogy a lot. Like, it was Bur- Bur- uh, Magic Burr... <laughs> Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, right? And then they kind of passed the torch to Michael Jordan, right? He kind of took it. He kind of took it. To be honest. To be honest, yeah, because he took the torch. Then he he kind of passed the torch to to Kobe Bryant, right, and Shaquille O'Neal. And then they kind of passed the torch to LeBron James. And in some ways, the torch has been passed not, you know, not because they uh, wanted Steph, to pass Steph it Curry to Steph took Curry. It away. Steph Curry took the torch away. Thanks, Murder Tundra, for the reminder. What's the big, big I'm LeBron. a big NBA fan. I'm big a big LeBron, LeBron James fan. fan. I'm a big LeBron James fan. So my point, though, is that it's time. I mean, we just talked about like five or six people who have carried the load for the NBA over the course of the last few decades. We can name one in drag racing, right? There's one. One guy has been doing it all. In my opinion, and I'm not trying to shortchange the efforts of these other guys, but he's just really the only guy that's consist- consistently put himself out there. There was the reality show on A and E. I mean, this dude has has carried the sport of drag racing for a long time, and I've referred to him as like the tent pole. He's the pole in the center of the circus tent, right? And he's the, he's holding the big top up, and he's starting to wither and splinter. And get a little worse for wear. And if there's anybody in our sport that I believe could step in to a top fuel operation or a funny car operation and be competitive and and do all the aforementioned kind of intangible charisma things, it's Stevie Fast Jackson. And I honestly think as much as I want to see him remain a door slammer star, the sport badly needs that dude in a nitro car. I really, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I really think the sport of drag racing needs him. I actually think we may be wise. If I was the NHRA, and you know how I love to be king for a day, mm-hmm. I think I would put him in like the mellow yellow car. I would earmark, I would come up with some money from one of our major sponsors, and I would put him in like the house car. I mean, field a car with Don Schumacher, field a car with Coletta, whatever, let him place a bid for fielding a car. And that dude needs to be in a top fuel car or a funny car. He it, it's it has to happen. In the past, I've said that like why not put Ken Block in a funny car? Mm-hmm. Why not put Travis Pastrana in one? Sean White, whoever. whoever. Anybody who's got a big audience, got a big following, steal their fame or steal their audience. You know, try to transfer some of those people. And I mean, Stevie Jackson, I guess to me, He's one of those guys, he's already here, he's qualified, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I really hope that as much as it's going to break my heart, I, I hope he gets a shot in a, at, at the highest levels of drag racing. I hope, sincerely hope, that he has the opportunity to, to race at the highest levels of drag racing. I will say that I do have a belief that based on what you just said about Stevie J- or excuse me, uh, Big Chief and Murder Nova... There are times that I think 
maybe Top Fuel and Funny Car, maybe that time has, maybe there's a, maybe it's time for Pro Mod to be the top level of drag racing. I mean, I, I think that it could be argued that those cars can draw a crowd. I feel we've proven it with our own race, the World Series of Pro Mod. I feel the Street Outlaws and the No Prep Kings continue to prove that they don't have to be 300 miles per hour. They don't have to be shooting header flames out of them. They don't have to be funny cars and top fuel cars. Yeah, obviously, that's the, the path of least resistance. That's what people are, expect. But if you're, if you're a good promoter, you're a good storyteller, I believe that you can put on a hell of a show with some door cars. So that's a, maybe a conversation for another day because I do worry that there's not, there's not enough new top fuel, new funny car teams coming up and it's just so expensive and it's so time consuming. I mean, if you're going to race and be, I mean, you've got to race 24 races a year plus test plus everything else. I mean, it's, that's a full-time deal. And they don't really look like cars and they don't, you know I mean? they don't at all look like cars. So I don't know. There's a conversation I think to be had about where pro mod could end up because in my opinion, they have, they're a perfect middle they're like a perfect melding of the out of control, unbelievably fast, blow up, you know, that, that whole violent, chaotic thing that is Top Fuel and Funny Car. ProMod has that, right? But they also still look like cars. They still look like Camaros and Mustangs and Daytonas and Corvettes. I mean, they still look like cars. So it still has a they're still somewhat relatable obviously we're getting them stretched out we're getting big you know hood scoops and superchargers whatever but still you can still call it a camaro and it looks like a 69 camaro right i mean it's got the badges or whatever yeah. so i don't know man i think that there's an argument that pro mod if i was the nhra i would be trying to position pro mod as like a clear second tier whatever so that that we were positioning that to be a growth point because it is. I mean, if you call any chassis builder in America right now, they're building pro mod cars. They're building top sportsman cars and they're building pro mod cars. That's what they're building. I mean, that's what's keeping these guys rocking and rolling. So if that's where the cars are, if that's where the volume of cars are, man, I would try to find a way to elevate that. And they have, but I mean, that's a, that's a double edged sword too. We've talked about that, you know? So anyways, moving on to uh, the next thing here. And we will we'll wrap this thing up. And this, this is a great opportunity, actually, for some self-promotion. Because if you guys haven't checked out DragIllustrated.com lately, I encourage you to do it. We are updating the site daily with the exclusive content. Uh, I'm just super proud of our whole team right now. I feel like we're killing it across the board. Whether it's the, the magazine that we send out every month. Whether it's our website. Whether it's our email blasts. Um, the video content we produce. I'm just really proud of everything that we're doing right now. And... One of the things that we just started, and this is something that we've been talking about, Nate, Josh, you and me, uh, Murder Tundra, have been talking about for a while, is that while we, we, go to the, we go to these towns, we go to these places all across the country, all across the world, to go drag racing, basically, but you do, you do some other stuff, and mainly eat and drink. Yes. Right? I mean, you do a lot of going out to dinner when you go into the races. So... Um, we started this whole thing called Racer Eats. You can check these stories out on dragillustrated.com. Like I said, so far I've done a couple of them myself. There's been a slew of them assigned, so the next couple of months are going to be really fun when everybody kind of dives into the places that they like to go and, and whatnot. But I've done so far Valdosta, Georgia, kind of as an ode to, to lights out, remind everybody the places that I like to go eat and drink there, namely Outback. 
That's the that might be one of the best outback locations in the country. But um, Racer Eats uh, Las Vegas was a ton of fun, dude. I mean, I think about um, there's like no way you could hit everything either. I mean, because there's just so much. Yeah, I mean, because the question that I got here's the question: What's your favorite thing about the the fall NHRA Las Vegas race? Is it the title, the 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 cars that are in contention for titles, um, the being the Pro Mod Final Race of the Year, or the fact that it butts up against SEMA and it's kind of all those things. You know what I mean? I think that that's the magic of it. That has become that race and the fact that SEMA's the next weekend, it's become like a power week for our sport. Mm-hmm. Cuz you got 3-4 days at the NHRA National Event in Vegas. It's a beautiful facility, like an incredible venue, one of those tracks that I talk about that make you proud to be a part of the sport. Like you you see that place and you go, "Man, the sport of drag racing produced this." They built this place to drag race. Holy shit. It's crazy. So you're super proud to go to that event. Plus, it, the, NH, the Pro Mod season is wrapping up. You're the second to last race. The air is good. The condi- it's nice and cool. Uh, great time of the year. Uh, everybody's kind of can see the finish line. Even the people that aren't having the greatest of the year, they still know it's almost over. So everybody's kind of in a good mood. Then you've got all these industry people, excuse me, that come out to the race. You know, So they're stoked. They come out to the race. They don't normally get to the race because they got SEMA next week. So they come out a couple days early, hang out at the race. That's cool. Then you've got um, you've got uh, people that just show up for SEMA. You know what I mean? So it's just there's so much action. Four days of SEMA, and there's like one day in between the two. So, anyways, uh, it's probably like my favorite stretch of the entire season. It's it's far and away my favorite stretch of the whole year, and. I'm uh, I'm stoked about it, man. And and my eats list, I got to tell you, oh, can I mean, are you ready? In and out. How excited are you about some In and Out? You don't love In and Out. I don't, I think it's overrated. You think In and Out is overrated? No, I think it was good, but I, I mean, I didn't see anything really special about it at all. What? I didn't, dude. I think it's the greatest place in the world. I mean that that chicken tender place we went to after In and Out was. <sighs> I can't raising canes. Oh yeah, I like that. Raising cane. Um, yeah, you're out of your mind. I, I'm I'm off put to be honest. Well, I think In and Out. I love In and Out. I love the food. Um, American all beef patty, freaking between two American buns with some American cheese. I would rather have a bacon and some American Thousand Island dressing from Wendy's. I would really. Yep. Not me, dude. I was gonna tell the whole story about the my my uh, how much I've hated hamburger my entire life, but we're we're probably gonna run out of batteries, so we'll probably pump the brakes and tell that story next time. I think it's probably because you haven't tried very many. No, th- there's a very famous story about this man. I bit into one when I was about eight years old at Hardee's, and it had a penny in it. Yeah, and which. Kept kept you from trying them. Uh, yeah, and I didn't try. I yeah. didn't try. Uh, literally, there was about twenty years between, maybe more, maybe thirty years between hamburgers for me. I had a hamburger through the drive-through um, here in Kirksville, Missouri. The money burger. You ain't lived until you've lived in a town where there are two Hardies, right? You have not. You've not been. You ain't done nothing until you got two Hardies two miles apart. We had three at one time. Here. We did. We had one downtown. Yep. Dear God. And they turned it in. Now they a, can't even keep one open. No, now they can't <laughs> keep one open, dude. 
it's it's kind of sad. Hadn't had People just order their food on Amazon, I think. Haven't had it, had a customer in the drive-thru for an hour, but they'll tell you to ask you to pull forward for your <laughs> right. meal. Hey, can you pull like, forward? We're about well, to drop. We're like about to nobody drop these fries. Here. We're about to <laughs> drop these fries. Hold on. We'll we'll get these curlies to you in a minute. No, man, I wanted my dad told me I wanted a hot ham and cheese. I remember this well. We were uh, we were in the I was in the back seat of my dad's uh, conversion Dooley Suburban. Right? It was red, yellow, and purple, this thing. That was good looking this son of a bitch. This is good looking son of a bitch, man. It was. <laughs> Big block, obviously, four hundred turbo. So bench seats, vinyl, you know, like bench seats. You know what I'm talking about. So I my dad turns down the Bellamy brothers long enough for us to get up and <laughs> and order food. And I remember he goes, What do you want? Fucking ham and cheese? Why can't you order a cheeseburger like every other man on the planet? And I'm like, Well, I'm eight. And I want a hot ham and cheese because that's what I like. That's what I always want. But I took like five seconds to answer him. So he just, we'll be here all day if I wait on him. So he orders me a cheeseburger, right? Um, My brother, I think he always ordered them with ketchup and pickles only, right? So he orders mine with ketchup and pickles only. And I remember unwrapping that wrapper that it was like a yellow, orange paper, plastic paper wrapper. You know what I'm talking about? Folding it back. I'm making eye contact with this burger and I'm like, Fuck. and I start to like almost gag because I just don't like it. I just never liked them ever. I tried a couple other times. I just don't oh. like hamburger, you know. So oh now I'm making eye world. contact with this burger and ah, I take a bite of it. And when I bite down, I literally feel here. It was like shock, terror. There were tears. It was a disaster. And I, there was a penny in it. Ketchup, pickles, and a penny. Abe Lincoln is looking back at me. <laughs> it's true. And I'm going, this, I, I, I didn't even know how to respond, right? And from that moment on, I, I vowed, I made a promise to myself, never to ever eat a hamburger ever again. I bet your brother put the penny in when you weren't looking or something. It's, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't know. I mean, so, and this is a 100% true story. Yeah. There's a penny in the mother. I mean, it was unbelievable. So, I don't eat hamburger for 30 years. Ever. I mean, ever. Ever. I mean, it stirs a lot of shit in my family. Um, I would kind of get this whole label of being a super picky eater, which wasn't true. I mean, it wasn't... So- hey, 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 hey. I'm not super picky. I'm picky. But the main thing is I don't like hamburger. That's it. And I'll eat red meat. I'll eat a steak. I'll eat... I mean, I'll eat tacos, like ground beef tacos and stuff. I won't eat sloppy joes. I ain't eating that. Um, I'm, I'm not eating hamburger helper, ever. Do you like hamburger helper? I take it. I love it. Really? I probably should have said that. But yeah, I do okay. like it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, I will eat the noodles out of it. You know what I mean? Like, I'll pick the noodle out or whatever. But now that I don't eat carbs a lot. I'm getting hungry again. <laughs> talking about hamburger helper. You probably like the macaroni and cheese version or whatever. Oh, I mean, just... I can make that just out of regular macaroni. Oh, my, my wife did that for my son the other day. He told her that he, Max, I guess, God bless him, he wanted hamburger just in the macaroni and cheese. Yeah, we do that. I was like, what are you doing? This is two separate sides of the plate. I like the hamburger helper. Like, longer the... Then I thought, shit, am I the snowflake? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is horrible. Yeah. I'm the snowflake. So like, the longer the name is on the box, you like... 
triple cheese, bacon, macaroni, enchilada. Helper. Like, yeah, helper. I'm like, and it's that, that smiling, awesome. That smiling noodle guy. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about? It's he's a great a, logo. He's a, he's a glove. He's it? a glove. He's a glove. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, um, I never tried a cheeseburger ever again until January. Um, I wrote it down. I, I had it. I knew it off the top of my head here. Um, January, I think it was like 28th. January 28th, 2016 was the next time I had a cheeseburger. Way to stick to your guns there, Wes. Yeah, I did it, man. Uh, January 28th, 2016, it was a Thursday afternoon in Orange County, California. I was at a SEMA function, and they, as a treat for everybody that was there, they would bring out, um, they would bring out uh, the In-N-Out truck, which is a big deal in Southern California, right, In-N-Out, and they would serve us lunch for free. And in years past, I'd just skipped it. I'd, I'd held true to my promise. I'd made a promise to myself, Murder Tundra, never to eat a cheeseburger again or hamburger, whatever. And I thought, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm starving. A, I hadn't eaten all day. And I'd heard everybody talk about In N Out for all these years. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to eat this thing. And one bite of that all beef double patty, what they call it a double double, right? And I was, I was forever changed, man. Really was the sauce, the the sp- spread that they put on it. It changed my life, and so now, um, I used to force Arby's on a lot of people, as you know. Yeah, I know. You've oh experienced God, yeah. that a handful of times. Um, we we're gonna get a map for the office to put pins in. We were going to, to do this, right? We were, I wanted yeah. to know all the store numbers Number by zero. heart. Yeah. I wanted you. My goal. I had this thought. I want someone to be able to say 577, and I could go Tallahassee, Florida. That's the Tallahassee, Florida Arby's. I know the numbers. So, but now I'm on that. I'm on that in and out. I'm on that in and out, and I have been for a few years. I'm a big fan. If I'm even remotely close to one of these places, I go. Thank God, there's one a mile from the Dallas airport. Every time I land in Dallas, pretty much go to In and Out. Took Mike Carpenter there the other day, changed his life, baptized him. Took you there the other day, baptized you. You resisted it, kind of. No, I didn't. I, I wanted to go. No, you, you've you resisted it since. I mean, you're acting like you don't care. I, was, I, I guess as much as I'd heard about it, I was really expecting something crazy good. I don't, I, just, I don't understand how it wasn't crazy good. I mean, they've ne- it's never been frozen beef. It's never been frozen. It's like super lean. Um, that sauce, it's like kind of like Thousand Island dressing on steroids. I just don't know what more you could ask for. Did you get a tomato on yours or something stupid? No. You, you had to have done something. Did you eat it too fast or something? No. I don't know. I'm having a hard time putting the blame on anyone but you. You've done. Did you drink a weird soda with it? Nope. Did you get lemonade or something? Nope. Did it alter your taste buds? <laughs> had you smoked just prior? That's probably what it was. Nope. Really? Well, I listen. I don't know, maybe. If you're going to be in Vegas, and I'm not going to go through our whole thing because we've been recording for an hour and 18 minutes, but man, it's the it's the 18th episode of the podcast. We can go a little long. Vegas for, has lots of yeah. Vegas has lots of places oh to God. eat. But here's the here's the pro tip. Pro tip is this: don't go to the In and Out that's on the Vegas Strip unless you just want to wait in long line. Um, what you will, I mean, if that's what you're looking for, just go to the In-N-Out on the Strip. But there is one on Craig Road. I think it's Craig. Craig or Craig's Road. One or the other. I think it's Craig's Road. Craig Road. Um, out by the drag strip. It's six miles from the racetrack. Never busy. 
ever. Hmm. I've been there several times. Never busy. Pro tip. Shout out to my squad at the the Craig Road Craig Road location of In and Out. Um, I know they're they're feeling powerful there with their white shirts and those red robe thingies. The what do you call it? Um, apron. Apron. Thank you. I don't cook. I was going. <laughs> Man, they didn't have red robes on. Where no, I was. red apron. That's Jeez. what I meant. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm, I'm, yeah. not a, I'm not a. Obviously, chef. the reason I don't like it because you're going to a fancier one than I've been. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but I was going to tell you too, dude. Like there are so many. I've got a Capital Grill. You now. What about Capital Grill? Yeah. Have you been to the fashion show mall, the Vegas location? Surely I have. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cap- Capital Grill has like a ribeye that's just on a different level. They, they put this sauce on it. It's Jesus it, made it. Oh, my God. I can drink it. Yeah. Jesus cooked it. Yeah. Because it's unbelievable. I mean, it's like I've got tons of top steak joints, but the Capital Grill, Grill ribeye. It's up there. Yeah. I'm in a filet guy. You know this. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Capital Grill, they serve a, fo- a 10 ounce filet mignon, right? Uh, with gorgonzola encrusted, like a gorgonzola crust, like a cheese crust on top of it, kind of yeah. cooked on top of it, and it should be illegal. It's that good. Yeah. And it, what I like about the Capitol Grill, I my think wife the best, gets delays. Really? Oh my God! Here we go. Most women do. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. Real men get tomahawk thanks. ribeyes. Right. Of course. Of course. Of course. Right. And drink natter days. It's true. My God. No, you hide your natter days. Okay. Drinking them. <laughs> okay. You hide your natter day and yeah. eat your tomahawk ribeye. I got it. Straight, okay. Straight Jim Beam. Yeah. I got it. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but seriously, that place is so consistently badass. It is. It, you can go to the one in Indy, the one in anywhere you want to go. Fort Worth. Yeah, Fort Worth. Yeah. Wherever they are. Awesome. Thank and that's a there's a little story, man. Little story. Short one I could tell. I went to the Capitol Grill for the first time with Kenny Bernstein. Mr. 300 miles per hour, the king of speed, the Budweiser guy, right? Drives the Bud top the king of speed or the 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 Budweiser king, top fuel dragster. And uh yeah, in the spring of 2007, we uh we shot Kenny for the cover of Drag Illustrated. Me and Jason Sharp talked about Jason earlier in the in the in the Bubba podcast Smooth. in the pod. Bubba Smooth. We flew to Vegas. Um, took a a cab. <laughs> My God, dude. We some I think back on some of the stuff we did, and it's kind of hilarious. Just having no idea what to do. Uh, we would fly places without a hotel, without transportation, without any real money. Uh, I don't even know what we were thinking a lot of the times. But I remember flying to Vegas with Jason. We took a cab from the airport to the racetrack. It was expensive. Took a cab from the airport to the racetrack. Got to the racetrack. Had him drop us off at the gate. Um, I think we had credentials. I think we had credentials, but I can't really remember, to be honest. But we uh, we went to Kenny's Pits, the, and he had just announced this whole Monster Energy Drink funny car deal. It was a huge deal, like a major sponsorship, multi-million dollar deal. And it was big news, right? Because this was a huge, growing brand at the time. Uh, still a huge brand, but they were exploding. I mean, exploding at that point in time. And we go to, we go over to the pits, and Kenny literally treated us like old friends. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I had no, there was no reason for him to be nice to me at all. But he treated us like gold, told us to make ourselves at home, and we end up shooting all these pictures. He was every bit the superstar that you think he would be. You know, I mean, this guy is... I don't know, probably top five most famous drag racers of all time, top ten for sure, best-known drag racers of all time, um, certainly amongst the most accomplished. He uh, treated us like gold. We shoot pictures. He gave us all the time we needed, which more than we needed, right, because we just wanted to get a few pictures of him because he's like, hey, 
do we need to put the car together? And I'm like, no, man, we'll get pictures of the car or whatever. I want pictures of you, you know? And he was really big into what we were trying to do because I was very uh, outward with the fact that, hey, we're trying to put faces to the names, man. They're all Nobody in drag racing enjoys the kind of recognition that they should. Like, we've got to take pictures of race car drivers, not cars, right? And he was all about it, man. Big believer in what we were trying to do. And... I remember we hang out with him all day and he's like, uh, he was packing up. I remember him pulling his little rental car. He had like a Lincoln town car rental car. Nice at the time. Nice. Like I'm, I just immediately thought like, of course he's got like a luxury rental car. So they, he pulls his car around and him and his wife, Cheryl, they're going to throw their bags in the back of it. And he looks over at me. He's like, Hey, how are you getting back to the, to the hotel? And I said, uh, I don't really know. I guess I hadn't thought about it yet. And I literally hadn't. And I thought, well, we took a cab out here. We'll just get a cab and take a cab back. You know, no big deal. And he's like, no, you will not. You will ride with me. And I'm like, okay, this, wow. How did we get here? Now I'm going to ride home with the with Kenny Bernstein, right? So Jason and I throw all of our crap in the back of this car and they help us load it up. They're so sweet. We pile in the back of this thing and we get pulling out of the thing. I'll never forget this. And he goes, uh, where are you guys staying? And I go, uh, the stratosphere. <laughs> and it was like, it was the place that had the $35 a night rooms, man. We were broke. I mean, I, I was. So he's like, okay, no problem. And I said, where are you guys staying? The Wynn. And I'm like, oh, of course, the nicest hotel in Vegas, right? Of course. that's where. But again, I was proud of it because I'm going, that's where he should stay. They should give him the place. Like I, I looked up to him and still do and all these guys with so much respect and admiration. That's what I want for them. I want them to stay at the nicest hotels. I want them to live a life of luxury. I really mm-hmm. do. I think they deserve it. So anyways, he drops us off at the stratosphere. And I remember it was kind of humiliating. You know what I mean? I'm going, this, this, this is going to be a story, you know, because the Kenny Burns, he's dropping us off at our hotel. You should have asked me if you wanted to pull the slot outside. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you want to pull that? Hey, man, I got another extra dollar. You want to throw a, you want to throw a dollar in that thing? Um, so he drops us off and he's like, hey, would you guys like to go for dinner tonight? And I'm like, I guess, man, where, you know, where are we going? He's like, hey, we're going to go clean up. Don't take a lot of time. Hurry up. Um, but meet us at the, the Capitol Grill. And I said, OK, where's that at? He's like, fashion show mall right across the street from the wind. I said, OK, cool, cool, cool. He's like, just get a cab or whatever. Get a car. It, it won't be much. It's close. And he pointed down the way. And it's literally right down the street. So. Jason and I scramble up to our room, take showers, get cleaned up or whatever, and we head out, uh, and I think we walked. And it was way further than we thought, right? Because that's how Vegas does you. Yeah. It looks like it's right there, but it's not right there. It's, it's like 17 miles away. But anyways, we got to the place, and that was my first experience of like fine dining. That was far and away the nicest restaurant I'd ever eaten at in my life. And it was like me, Jason... A handful of friends of Kenny's, a couple of his sponsors, some people that work uh, worked for him at the time, and of course he's ordering cocktails, bottles of wine, all these appetite. I'm I'm like so in over my head, right? And I'm wearing an Oakley short sleeve button down shirt because that's like the nicest shirt that I owned. I bought it at the racetrack that day. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it was just such an overwhelming experience. The view, looking out, and just to be sitting at a table breaking bread with Kenny Bernstein. Like the first guy to go 300 miles per hour, I'm going on the drag strip. It was it was a big big deal for me, and I'll never forget. We're he of course not a big surprise. He insists on buying dinner for everybody, so he's buying everybody's meal, 
And uh, the lady comes to pick up her little book and he hands her his credit card and it's an American Express black card. Right. And I'm like, this dude is a baller. Right. <laughs> and he she, he hands the card to the girl and she looks at it and she looks up at him and she goes, oh, you must be important. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's freaking Kenny Bernstein. Of course he's important. He could buy and sell this place. Right. You know, I mean, I was that was a, that actually stuck with me. I was mad. I'm like, well, of course he's important. I mean, you don't you, know who you this came guy home is. Spray painted yours, didn't you? No, I didn't. I, <laughs> That's what I, I do. <laughs> dude, it was. I was. It was a cool moment, man. And from that moment on, much like In and Out, but a little earlier. Like I remember the next year, I went to Vegas and I took my now wife, then girlfriend Alicia, there, and I was so excited to take her because I knew that that place was like a legit fancy restaurant. Like mm-hmm. that's a legitimate fancy restaurant, and. um it's probably my favorite restaurant in the world now, you know, to be honest. And it's funny because it all started with, like, going with uh, Kenny Bernstein to it, you yep. know. So, cool story, man. All right. Let's uh, end the podcast on that note. Please remember to um, screenshot this thing. Share it on your social media. Let people know that you're watching the West Buck Show. It's weird to say that out loud, but we really appreciate it. Leave a comment. Um, leave a review. Ratings, five stars only. Don't even try to hit me with this 3.7 or 4 thing. Just keep your hands in your pocket. But if you're going to leave us a review, five stars, we really appreciate it. It means a lot to us. And uh, we'll see you Wednesday afternoon, like always, during our little live chat on the Facebook page. And uh, until then, until next time, guys.